Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 2, Episode 21, All Hell Breaks Loose, Part 1. Let's get this show on the road. That was an episode. I have many things to say, and we will get to those things. Oh, Drew, we were all so, 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 so excited to hear what you had to say. (laughs) The Discord kept asking you if you had watched it. (laughs) I was so ready for, like, the worst case scenario. I was completely blindsided by what we actually got. I'm very excited to hear about what you think is the worst case scenario that didn't happen in this episode? I thought we were going to lose Bobby. And that would have been worse than losing Sam? I think the issue is, like, and this is just TV in general, I know we're not going to lose Sam. Like, Sam, you have to bring back. Bobby could leave. And that is a very scary thought. And I mean, we know that Sam is, like, in the next 13 seasons. So I'm, I can you know, pretty confidently tell you that there is, you know, um, unbelievably a solution to his death. (laughs) Let's get to your recap. I'm ready when you are. Three, two, one, go. We open on the boys out for a drive in the rain. They're going to get pie for Dean because Dean needs pie and Dean wants his pie. And then the radio gets a little staticky and he looks away for a second. And then Sam's gone. And then the restaurant's just full of people who've had their throats slit. And then Sam shows up in like old folksy, like I thought he went back in time for a second, I'll be very honest, to a little town in the middle of nowhere. And then he finds Sam and Ava, and then these new people, Jake and Lily, who also have mysterious powers and are all the same age, and it seems to be part of, you know, Yellow Eye Demon's plan. So they start to figure things out. Lily gets killed by creepy demon child who Jake encountered, so now Jake at least believes in demons. And then Yellow Eye Demon shows up to Sam in a dream, explains his plan, reveals that his mother knew Yellow Eyes? Like, what? Okay, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. We then have a confrontation where Ava summons a demon to kill Andy, and then it turns out she's the big bad, and then Jake just snaps her neck like, whoa. Jake realizes they have to fight anyways, and they get into a fight. Sam kind of wins, but then Jake stabs him anyways, and then Dean shows up to hold his brother as he dies in his arms, and Bobby goes after Jake, and then the episode ends on a cliffhanger and time. And I didn't even mention the very minor B-plot of, like, Dean trying to go find, you know, Sam, and we find out that the roadhouse has been burned down and Ash is dead, and Andy gives him a, you know, long-distance vision. This is a really plot-driven episode, and I think that it's going to show in story time, but we do find out a lot of really juicy information. We certainly do. Well, if we move into the long game really quickly, one of the things that I noticed in this episode is that we really, probably for the first time, get to see Sam act as a leader. I drew a lot of parallels between him and Jake in that scenario because I feel like Jake was very, like, one, very military and very, like, hero-ish. So I think that's why Sam and him connected so much. But, like, yeah, there's that really nice, like, Sam as a leader role. So it was a nice change change of pace for him. I think not having Dean and having to stand up and being kind of like in a follow your destiny type scenario kind of gave him a little more pressure. The other thing that we find out is that the reason why Sam is one of the yellow-eyed demon's special children is that he has demon blood in him. Great reveal. It doesn't say too much to me. The biggest thing I think I kind of took away from that was like, so was Sam really special or was he just lucky slash unlucky? I feel like the next point you're about to bring up, if I can spoil it for everyone, is that Mary knew 
yellow eyes? Is that why Sam was chosen? And then what does that mean about the other children and how why they were chosen? I'm certainly not going to tell you. But I'm at least thinking of it. It's this episode is like 40 minutes of twist after twist after twist. Sam is taken, then Sam is somewhere, then Sam is with Andy, then Sam is with Ava, and then it, it just, it does not stop. Like literally to get a twist of like, it's demon blood. Like that's insane. That's crazy. And mom knew the demon. What? You have the look on your face of like a true supernatural fan. <laughs> I feel like I was hit by the Impala itself. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that I want to mention, and here this is, again, more for the folks who have seen the future seasons, but like when Ava is doing her explainer of why she, you know, quote unquote, went dark side, she says, I don't think God has much to do with this. I'm like, I know that this is a throwaway line. And I know that it could not possibly have been planned, but it's there. See, now the part of me is like, I, I know that angels come into the series clearly, and I assume there's a god and that's the case. So I'm curious to know if this is like ironic because god is involved, or is it ironic because god was clearly not involved? You're right, and it's relevant. Shall we move on to story time? Sure, let's jump on in. All right, so we talked about it briefly in the long game, but let's talk about Leader Sam. It was inter interesting to see it happen because it didn't feel natural at first, but then it became really like, this makes sense. What do you mean it didn't feel natural? I feel like we've never really seen Sam take the lead. We've seen him like, you know, like have a moment of like, you know, shining through or like doing the right thing or figuring something out. But to really just be like, here's the scenario. I know what's happening. Let's do things my way. I'm the expert in this scenario. Let's go. Felt very Dean. So it felt unusual to see to see Sam stepping up like this. OK, yeah, I can definitely see that. But it makes perfect sense. I mean, like he is of the five people there for as far as we know at the moment, the most expert in this whole being a psychic soldier for a demon army. And I think to me, like one thing that really stands out is how immediately he takes leadership. As much as it's unusual for us to see him in that position, most of the others just kind of like follow him instantly. He diffuses tensions, he makes a plan for survival, and even if he doesn't have all the answers, and even if people do question him, you know, and I think that that was really interesting to kind of see the, the dynamic of that ascension to leadership. I'd be curious to see that exact same scenario, but no Ava and no Andy. Would it be the same thing? Are you saying that because they have an existing relationship with him? Like they already see him as a professional in this field because they, as much as neither, you know, Andy didn't really know about demons. And I feel like Ava, I'm trying to like think of her episode, but like was aware there's some more to it, but didn't really like, no, doesn't know what a demon is per se, or really shouldn't. But they still both see Sam as like an authority figure when it comes to like weird shit happening. It's interesting because there's like a, a, a little flicker of doubt from Andy, you know, when he says your brother would be really useful right about now. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> right? So I think that that's really interesting because I think that it reminds Sam that like holy crap, this is the first time I've done this alone. Did you notice that like when Jake is like being attacked by the demon. He's actually in a classroom, right? And this is right after Jake has questioned Sam's leadership and authority and expertise. And then Sam swoops in, saves Jake from the demon and goes, and just so you know, that was a demon. Literally schooled him. Yes, Sam. 
class is in session. Just so good. I loved it. I actually want to talk about Lily uh, narratively for now, not quite critically. She talks about, you know, touching and killing her girlfriend. So first off, like, this is kind of a big moment, right? Because this is the second openly queer character that we're meeting on the show in two seasons or 43 episodes. And also the first one who is more human, more or less human. Yes, exactly. Like the first one was a vampire whose display of queerness was non-consensual. So definitely something that was a big moment. Now, you know, we can talk about it in critical time, but obviously like the reason why we find out is because she killed her girlfriend, right? By touching her because queer touch is so terrible. But I do want to kind of really take stock here because if you think about it, all of these kids have lost their partners. Sam lost Jess, Ava lost Brady. Now, of course, this is a special case, but she still lost him. Andy lost Tracy. She didn't die, but he lost her. And the only one that we don't know for sure is Jake. Like I said, yes, they've all lost their partner differently, but clearly like there was a loss there for all of them. And that loss is directly related to their powers and to the yellow-eyed demon. Interesting, I like that. Like, is that something that you had put together? No, like that was one of the things that always bothered me. Like, it seemed weird that you have all all these people with powers that are all so different, but then Ava and Sam have the exact same thing. I think one thing that we find out is that like the more, well, I think Ava says it, right? Like the more you open your mind to the powers, the more you'll be allowed to do, or you'll be able to do a lot of stuff. That was kind of my takeaway too, is the idea that maybe all of the powers are available to all of them. They just need to learn how to tap into them. Very like comic book movie kind of thing or like Avatar Last Airbender you just gotta learn how to do everything you have all the powers inside you like that eventually if she continued the path she was on and had managed to keep killing people and learning to use her powers she may have also adapted Andy's ability to mind control or Jake's super strength that's what I understood the way you're talking about it with me now kind of makes me feel like we don't find out how the powers work no we won't which I'm okay with like I feel like if it's if it's not blatantly explained but kind of left up to mystery and intrigue I'm okay with a bit of like headcanon and theory crafting. Does leave room for that, which is actually really great. Now we were talking about like how all of these young people have lost their partners because of the yellow-eyed demon. Now this, for me, this sort of brings up how much the yellow-eyed demon actually isolated his special children, making them feel alone. And that's how eventually they ended up tapping into their powers. Basically, it just pushed them in the right direction, setting off the first domino in a chain of chain reaction. And it's really what we were talking about in Nightmare, if you remember. And Simon said, frankly, like, because it's, it's about, you know, Dean was saying like, no, the yellow-eyed demon can't make you do these things, but like he doesn't make them do it. He puts them in the right circumstances for them to make the choice that he wants them to make. And if he, they don't, then he pushes them further and further and further. And that's that's what we're seeing. That's what we have been seeing for Sam as well. I am 1000% convinced the entire plan with yellow eyes, like as much as he reveals to Sam that like, I'm rooting for you thing, the entire setup was just to get Sam to kill somebody. If we come back to, you know, the isolation that he's imposing on these children, who else do we know that has isolated Sam? John, damn it, John. <laughs> John. Uh. I absolutely love and hate the irony of John isolating his kids in order to protect them, and yet by isolating them, basically doing the demon's bidding. That is so incredibly frustrating. <sighs> I just like, I don't even have you words. You have no words. <laughs> I was going to say you like, have no I just, words. All I can do is just sputter what you just said in like less more rambly tones and less cohesive. But 
I mean, it's that it's that like trope of like trying to help somebody but making things worse. Like, yes, taking Sam with you, teaching him to hunt, coddling him, taking care of him. But all you're doing is making him dependent and not letting him grow and not letting him like, you know, figure things out in the world. And that's everything that the demon wants. That is literally everything that the demon wants. And we'll we'll touch upon that a little bit later, too, because John raised Sam to be a soldier. Can we talk about Bobby? Yes, yes, we can. Bobby, <laughs> the saving grace. Can we talk about him and like sing his praise? I just I don't know. I just love him. <laughs> For those of you who are part of our Discord, you've seen my headcanon about this, but, like, I am fully convinced now. You know Bobby would have taken these boys and raised them so well. And <laughs> said, John, go hunt your demon. Let me take care of these boys. John, take care of your demons. <laughs> Leave your kids with yeah, someone who cares. You know, when Dean gets his vision, or, like, receives the images that Andy is sending him, Bobby is, like, right there for him. He's asking him questions. He's not judging him. And like when he sees that Dean is in pain and like literally keeled over on the hood of the car, Bobby has like his hand right on his shoulder. And I'm just like, Bobby. <laughs> it's weird to see Dean with a parent who cares about him. Like you said, oh my God, Bobby is the superior parent in every single way. Could you imagine that same scenario, but with John? Oh, now you're having visions. You're probably possessed too. I'm gonna... You know, just letting you know, if you turn, I'm going to kill you. It's like, take care of him first before you start planning how you're going to take care of him. I love how quickly you went from like, John is just trying to protect them to like, John is an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I can't stand him. He, he turned bad real quick. All right, let's actually dig into the short-lived friendship between Sam and Jake. I feel like they have so much in common. They have a sort of common ground with this military upbringing. I mean, Sam never officially attended the military, but he was raised by a military father in a military fashion and understands, I, I feel like their demon tra demon hunting training versus like military life training probably overlapped a lot. They understood each other without having to specifically say anything. I think that to a certain degree, that's why Jake respects Sam at first, you know, like that's why he's actually like, okay, like I will give you my trust. You've saved my life. Like, let's, let's go ahead and move with that. Right. I just really liked the moment that they share where like Jake is telling Sam that he appreciates him keeping the others calm, even though he's really scared himself, even though Sam is scared. And he says something about leadership in scary situations. Like it was just like a really wonderful moment. And he says that it doesn't matter if Sam believes they're going to make it. It matters that the others do. And I just think that that's something that Sam is going to carry with him in future seasons. Yeah, I feel like this is a great example of like, even though the relationship clearly ended but i feel like it was a growing moment for sam like even though this relationship ended i feel like that moment will live with him you're right and you know it's again one of those things like we know that every single person who has killed under the watch of the yellow eyed demon has been put in those situations so we don't know yet or we have an idea as to why jake killed sam but like we don't you know we can we can guess that like it was he was pushed to his limit as well like he says he had a he had a dream too of yellow eyes and 
clearly was able to be convinced that he had to do this. Again, it's that kind of scenario of like what I think Sam's always kind of been worried about is the like anyone can be pushed to become a killer. Clearly with Jake, we see this so quickly. And even though he believes his motives are just because, yeah, I'll kill you, but then I'll be the one who can go kill Yellow Eyes. Like, oh, Jakey, it doesn't work that way. I feel like a lot of people do bad things with, you know, quote unquote, good intentions, whether those intentions are, are realistic or not. I mean, of course, it happens that people do bad things because they want to do bad things. Most of the time, people do bad things and then they justify themselves with quote-unquote good reasons. And I think that's what the demon's basically relying on for Sam, trying to push him over that edge finally, because he had an opportunity to kill Jake. And I will be honest, I sat there for that moment being like, I don't know, I think he might do it. I really like, there's not a, there's, I was equally both ways of like, either he's going to let him live because he's too good or he's going to finally snap and do it. I know that we've touched upon it, but like, I want you to walk me through your feelings (laughs) (laughs) of what the demon shows Sam. Like, I feel, I feel like this was your first time watching it. And that like, that warrants a little bit of like talk therapy so i really love the demon acting wise like that entire like opening bit of like this is a memory you can't affect anything like i kind of just loved how calm he was about all that so right away obviously the first reveal is this basically feeding blood to baby sam so right away there's now this moment of like we can connect to why Sam has these powers where they come from. He wasn't born with them. He was given them. It, it, it begins to open doors. And then before you can even have a moment to like breathe that in and go like, what does that mean? Mary comes back, sees him, and then just says, it's you before the pin to the wall and leaving. What does that mean? Like, again, I, that raised, like, I just, mm. okay. My thought process was, I'm trying to go in order. One was the obvious shock of like, oh my God, she knows him. She knew what was happening multiple levels here one she knows this demon two she knows demons are a thing three she understands the supernatural already before anyone else in the family does so there's already like what the hell's in your past you haven't told us about which also makes me wonder how much did john know prior to this Oh, interesting. Because I I get the vibe from the episode with Missouri when they kind of go back home that John didn't know and he was kind of learning and asking and figuring things out until he did. But I feel like given what John would have seen that night, I don't think I just I, 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 it just feels like he probably had like some stories from Mary of like, sure, whatever demons are a thing, whatever, to suddenly this and going, oh, shit, demons are a thing. Fuck, what do I do? You think that she knew about demons? I think she knew. I think John had an inkling, but didn't ever want to breach the subject and this was the tipping point obviously if you know a demon you know of demons so what does that mean about mary i think only today when we started talking about it did i put two and two together does sam's being chosen specifically relate to mary's past something she did or a previous relationship i'm imagining mary was part of some sort of cult and like we're gonna find out later that all these kids are somehow tied to somebody who is part of the same cult or something it's so interesting to hear from somebody who who doesn't know like it rarely happens to me right to to be able to talk with somebody who doesn't know what happens and so i'm like oh this is really interesting like what you're reading from this from the very limited information that you have. So it's it's very cool. For our listeners, there is like my, like what I'm aiming for, my, my target is Mary was involved with something demony before she met John, which is why she knows Yellow Eyes and why Yellow Eyes came after her and Sam specifically. Let's move on from this because yeah. <laughs> I can't keep a neutral face any longer. Understood. 
And then another big reveal. Ava is bad. I mean, I definitely thought it was fishy that she had been gone for so long. Like, I felt like it was a bit weird, but I kind of didn't really like. There was too much going on that I couldn't really think about it much. And then to have her just like show up, I'm just like, oh, yeah, she's possessed and she's going to kill Andy now. And then Sam's going to show up. And so like, I, I expected Sam to start like reciting a, an, an incantation to try to like expel the demon. And then, no, she's just like, no, no, it's me. I'm just I'm killing people now because I'm playing this game and I'm going to win. And I'm like, what the hell? It's just like this entire episode is full of like betrayal. I think for me even more, it's it's a poor Sam moment. You know, Sam's biggest fear is that he will end up with doing what the demon wants, which is becoming a killer. And here is someone who he really liked and really saw kindness in and who came out of her way to save him. And it's been, what, five months and she's now a demon murdering killer? If they can do this to her in five months and Sam's afraid it'll happen to him one day, I think this is a pretty good indication that like, oh, Yellow Eyes has some tricks I don't know about. And I mean, when you think about it, every one of the betrayals has to do with Sam. So this is not only a poor Sam moment, this is a poor Sam episode. I think dying in your brother's arms is kind of the ultimate poor Sam. Well, it's also the ultimate poor Dean, right? Because he's the one who has to live on. Do you want to talk about the moment where like Jake turns on Sam? Like you say turn on, which I guess technically is correct, but it seems so calculated. Like I, I, I like I knew it was going to be a confrontation, but like I really thought for a moment that maybe Sam had gotten through to him, like they had a connection. Hmm. It really felt like we were getting to an end, like Dean was going to show up and then maybe Yellow Eyes would show up and there'd be a confrontation and Jake would go down that way or something. I didn't think Jake was going to make it out of this episode, I'll be honest, but. It's just really unfortunate, I think, the way that it happens. Like, I mean, I think the goal is to show that, like, Sam had, like, to a certain degree lost everything except for Dean, right? But even though he wasn't with Dean, but it was kind of to show like how alone he was. He's just been told that he has demon blood in him and that makes him like, and that's what eventually is going, or he thinks is going to make him go dark side. Literally all of the other kids who have this same quote unquote condition are either dying or killing each other. He's not with his brother. He can't find Bobby. John is dead. Jess is dead. Mary's dead. Like he's just, he's completely alone in this ghost town. There's also something to be said for the fact that like the relate the sparse if any relationship sam has to each of these other chosen ones basically reflect kind of like a choose your own adventure book you've literally got the you know like stay quiet do things by yourself and just live your life andy style wind up dead embrace the demon's power become evil start killing people end up dead try to run away and escape this thing end up dead or try your best to play into the demon's hand while still keeping your own mind, if only to get closer to him and try to kill him like Jake does or wanted to. And I have an odd feeling Jake's going to wind up dead. He is presented with mirrors of himself in four different directions and all four of them, despite going in different directions, end at the same location. I mean, that would be saying that the fixed point in time for Sam is that he, no matter what path he takes, he will inevitably end up dead, which on a very dark level is true of everyone technically, but... More specifically, that no matter what path he takes in this fight with the demon, he is and heading towards an early grave. Like I said, I don't suspect him to stay dead. Clearly, given what happened at the end of this episode, i.e. dying, it seems to be true. Let's move on to critical time. How about that? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> 
who do we have to thank for killing so many people? The writer of this episode is Sarah Gamble. God knew it. Who in season two wrote Bloodlust, Crossroads Blues, Houses of the Holy, and Heart. And I remember that in Heart, I told you that she would be like literally heeding the charge to kill all of our favorite characters. Three out of five deaths this episode. Four out of six if you count Sam, but I mean, I still don't. And then the director was Robert Singer, who in season one directed Phantom Traveler, Salvation, and season two directed Bloodlust and Croatoan. I kind of like how that, you know, Phantom Traveler was our first demon. So it's kind of a nice little like big demon extravaganza episode. That, that's true. And Salvation had a lot of demons. It certainly did. And Croatoan was very demon based as well. It's a very interesting uh, catch. Thank you, Drew. So is there anything that you want to bring up in critical time? So normally I'm the lore person and I feel like this episode didn't really have traditional lore. I feel like the lore in this was very much in in universe lore, which I really enjoyed. And I think I was just so emotionally distraught that I couldn't really absorb anything that wasn't Sam and Sam's story. It's a busy episode. Lots is happening. And then you're not really expecting a sudden twist like you have demon blood that I fed you. And also, I know your mom. Surprise. <laughs> To pull a really old meme, it's the, hey, what do you have there? And he's like holding his slush and like has like a horse on, like on a leash and it's just like, oh, it's a slush. Yeah, clearly the other thing is what we're worried about. I want to talk about two things. I want us to kind of like reflect on Lily a little bit because we've talked about it very briefly because we're not too sure how to feel about like the messaging in her killing her girlfriend through touch. The idea of making the first openly queer human character who is in a relationship with another woman have a power that is literally akin to touching her killed her i feel like is such a blunderous step that if if let's assume best case scenario was not an intentional comment on like queer sexuality and relationships someone should have caught it and gone like oh that seems like weird and i think that that's why i feel a little off about it this is a critique that i've seen over and over again in the fandom so this is not news to me. Like, I'm not shocked, I guess, by what happened because it's, you know, I've, I've been aware of it for a while. And I tried to, to dissect the episode a little bit with regards to that. Like I was talking about, they all lose a partner, except for Jake, that we don't know about. They all lose a partner. In that respect, Lily is no... Wait, correction. Sorry, he does lose a partner. Him and Sam are a team. They're leaders. They get each other and he has to betray him. True. You have stabbed through my heart. <laughs> I'm so sorry. What have you done? I don't like this at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so mad at myself. I'm so insulted right now. <laughs> I don't know why. It just it hit me like a sack of bricks all of a sudden. The realization. Okay, so let me say that again. They all lose a partner. And so... I don't think that Lily is unique in that sense. I think what makes her unique is the way in which she loses her partner, which is through... So definitely, like you said, I don't think that that's the message that they wanted to send, but it could definitely be read that way, and that's really problematic. And again, it kind of comes back to what we were saying about Gordon, right? There's nothing wrong with making a queer person, like, a villain. Or there's nothing wrong with, like, queer coding a villain. Like, I have no problem with it. My issue is when the 
only queer folks that you represent are villains or have like a very weird message attached to them, that's much more problematic to me. Like, let's just pretend for a moment if we took this exact same episode and the only change we made was just flip Lily and Jake. Lily has super strength, Jake touch kills. And you could still have like through whatever accident of like the first time I had the power, I was moving something and I knocked, you know, whatever. You could still kind of make it like through the use of my power, I injured or hurt the person I loved, but not in the exact same metaphorical way of like my intimate touch is what killed her because being gay is wrong somehow in this metaphor. Like you could still do it. And then otherwise the episode's the exact same. You just flip two people's powers and suddenly there's no more like weird anti-queer messaging by mistake. Especially given like the queer vibes that they've given to like heart stopping before in faith, you know, again, like it just kind of comes back. It's just, it's a very, like you said, it's a very weird message. Although I have to say, cause I have to mention it. I got really big rogue vibes from X-Men from Lily. Right away. Like the, I can't touch you or I'll hurt you or even worse kill you is like X-Men's rogue 101. That is like the basis of her character. And in this case, like rogue is not, you know, she didn't kill her girlfriend. She and she didn't even kill her boyfriend from what I remember. She almost kills him, right? I'm referring specifically to the 2000 movie because that's the one that has been like very important to me. And like, I remember Rogue and that was like one of my bi-panic moments personally. <laughs> I think with her, it was always done as a level of a story about how you need to find other ways to connect with people besides touch with intimacy and finding someone who can accept you for who you are is in, is, is integral to Rogue's story. It's the fact that she can meet people who are able to understand her, whether they can or cannot touch her, they understand her at least. And she's able to form relationships because of that and eventually does meet people who are able to you know, like stop her power or are immune to her power and they can actually have a physical relationship with is an important character trait. This character is almost like they started that path, but ended it way too soon. She was on screen for what, a grand total of like seven minutes. Like there was no room for growth. There was no room to explain any of that. So what it comes off as is just weird. The second thing that I want to talk about is the destruction of the roadhouse. Yeah, the thing I forgot to mention in the recap because it was such a small blip on the map of this already insane roller coaster of an episode. Okay. So now I have some tea to spill. Eric Kripke always hated the Roadhouse. He never wanted it in the show. This was something that was required from what I understand and from the articles that I've read, and I'm going to link a couple of them in the, in the show notes. He never wanted the Roadhouse. This was a directive that was quote unquote from above. Like this was something that the, the networks, the execs wanted to see. They wanted, they wanted to give Sam and Dean like a home base. If we think about it, we all like when we both are watching it, like we like the roadhouse. We like that they come back to it. We like the people in it. Home is where the heart is and the heart is in the people. And yes, of course, there's like the physical manifestation of the roadhouse that becomes, you know, home. The reason why people like the roadhouse is not because it looked like it did. It's because Ash was there. It's because Ellen was there. It's because Joe had ties to it. To some degree, it's because John had ties to it and therefore the boys had ties to it. In my understanding of it, that's why people like the roadhouse. I mean, it is a trope of the mom of the week series to the point where there is a very popular tabletop role-playing game for those who are not akin to what I'm talking about. I'm referring to things like Dungeons and Dragons. And there is a very popular game type that exists called Monster of the Week, which is very much fashioned after shows like Supernatural or Buffy, where it's designed to be done in small, literal episodes with a home base planning how you're going to fight the monster and then like telling a story with your characters who all kind of fit the stereotypes of this kind of universe. And 
a, like I said, a key part of that game type is the home base where you can do your research and you can level up your home base to get different skills and abilities because they are a trope. So I'd understand why executives who are very much trying to make a cookie cutter show because they want the fans, they want the money, would look at a show like this and go, well, they need a home base. That's a thing. Eric Kripke never really saw the Roadhouse as home base. Like to him, it was just an aberration on his show. And he was like, you know, this is a show about being on the road. It's about being on the road. It's not about home bases. It's it's not about roots. It's about being on the road. And he he kind of, and I mean, again, I'm like editorializing here, but like, I think that to a certain degree, he kind of got like tunnel vision. His original vision of what he wanted the show to be, I don't think really matched like what people enjoyed about it. You know, people didn't watch Supernatural because it was about two guys on the road. They watched it because of the relationship between the two brothers and the relationships that they are forming with others. And in that respect, like the roadhouse is very useful. And if you know the roadhouse itself is so so upsetting to you then that's fine but like there was really no way no there was no there was no reason to kill off ash i understand burn down the roadhouse get it out of there make everything more on the road or make them like meet up on adventures like i will admit what makes certain interactions like Bobby so special is because he can turn up anywhere. He can show up where they need him. They can go find him wherever he is. Again, it's not the place. It's the person. So, you know, burn down, burn down the roadhouse and, you know, Joe hits the road again. Uh, you know, maybe Ash ends up with them for an episode while he tries to like, you know, hitch a ride to the next town to figure out what he's going to do with himself. And then he gets a, goes back to school and they go to visit him at like whatever college he's at. Like you can do things with these characters. You didn't have to kill him. You're right. You know what is so ironic, though, about the conversation that we're having right now? What's that? Is that literally after this, they end up having a home base. Oh, come on. This was truly like a Kripke thing. He did not like the idea and he was very, he just didn't like it. And so he 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 made sure and 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 that's that's a credit to him right like he made sure that his vision of the show remained and for that i i have to i have to say that like kudos to you i disagree with your with your vision but kudos to you for staying you know true to it i guess good on you for like sticking to your guns and doing what you wanted to do with your creation but like you were wrong <laughs> you you were a bit over the top with the murders but i think it kind of shows also like i mean i'm gonna use like big words here but the disregard for the characters the cost of, of burning down the the roadhouse was ash and like it was like nah, whatever we can do that ash didn't feel important enough to the team to feel like he was worth keeping they felt like he was the kind of character you could kill off and like fans will understand how serious it is because he's dead but no one will miss him except that i miss him greatly we all miss him greatly drew we really all do and what was he gonna tell dean what, what was this big reveal he had that he couldn't say over the phone it'll be interesting to find out if we find out we might not find out or we might find, i don't even know which i want more what i was expecting i didn't even think about it till right now there's a secret we still don't know the answer to from nash ah i mean he's dead right so who else would know did he tell joe or ellen did he like write it down somewhere secret for Dean to find in some like cryptic way that only another adorable gay rocker would figure out? I love the idea, but the roadhouse is burnt to a crisp. I still have my hopes. I'm being optimistic. Ash left something behind for Dean somehow. Let's move on, friend. <laughs> this week we have a voicemail from courtney based entirely on his reaction and answer to the conversion therapy question in the haunted episode i am morbidly curious as to drew's reaction to the fact that there is a canon piece of information pulled straight from john's journal which was like made by the cw and like 
salt that Dean was sent on a solo hunt on his 17th birthday to go kill the ghosts of two lesbian nuns. There is already so much to take from that and all the horrible connotations are only amplified when we meet Lee in season 15. Dean and Lee's scenes together were already filled with obvious queer coding but they also gave us insight into Dean's teenage years and John during those years. So as a fandom we collectively decided that Dean was probably caught with Lee before his 17th birthday and as a punishment John sent him out on this hunt making his opinions extremely clear. So yeah, I want to know how Drew feels about this specifically. This is one of those pieces of canon that has been brought to my attention and I'm really happy to take a moment to really just read into and dig and give my honest opinion. It just seems like such a John move from everything we've learned about him. Very probably he has at some point, whether very directly or indirectly discerned that Dean's sexuality is not, ahem, I air quote, normal. And this was his way of not directly punishing him, but setting in stone the fact that queer is bad, queer equals ghosts, ghosts need to be killed, like sort of drawing that comparison, which not only is it horrible and disgusting and homophobic on John's part and so horrifying for Dean to have to deal with, especially as his first hunt. But I feel like this may also be what instills that first other that monsters have. I, I know we've discussed in the show quite a bit how there's like a, a similarity between the way Dean sees himself as a bi or queer man that he also sees in the creatures he fights as in they are not normal. They're not good. They're not what you're supposed to be. They're not supposed to be what they are. And he feels that about himself. And I think this might be the moment that like trigger that for him. Not only did this completely fail John as a attempt at like, you know, queer reversion therapy, but has instilled this terrible notion in Dean that he can't be this thing because it means being a monster, which is so not true and just so painful to imagine Dean having to picture this every time. It's almost a weird similarity to Sam, who is literally afraid of being a monster because the demon blood thing. So we've actively got these two characters with a very similar disdain for the thing they are. I mean, I think we'll have to explore further what that actually means for Sam in the sense of being part demon or having demon blood. But for Dean, it's very, you know, on the nose. I don't know if you remember, but in a very early episode in season one, and I can't remember which one, I had said something about that Sam was also queer coded and that we would find out later why. And the the connection that you made here about, about him feeling othered because of the demon blood that he has in him, this is going to obviously launch like a very important arc for him. We're going to embark on this journey with him and we're going to see how he deals with having demon blood in him the same way that we've been seeing how Dean deals with having queerness in him. You know, again, we were talking about unintentional harmful messages. At least this one, I feel it can be twisted into a cautionary tale almost. Yes, and we'll we'll see how it develops, right? Because right now, like, we're kind of, I mean, I have a different vision of it, but, like, we're talking about it without having done, like, the proper analysis. So, like, let's not speculate about it, but it's just, like, the thoughts that are going through my mind right now. So definitely something to see, and I think it will be really interesting to start drawing parallels because this whole season, and even in season one, a lot of it has been, like, contrasting Sam and Dean. Well, now we're about to see what we're about to see their parallels. Yes, like having been dead. Yes, that too. <laughs> Courtney, thank you so much for your voicemail. I mean, 
it definitely launched us on a very interesting conversation. So thank you for having sparked that for us. Thank you. I really went for a while there. Woof. Let's meet at the crossroads. I'll start. I realize I kind of didn't have one this entire time. Like it really, nothing really stood out to me until I guess you kind of made me realize that a really easy one would be, like I had said, switch Jake and Lily's powers. It would have resolved a bit of a narrative issue with the whole inadvertent anti-queer messaging in Lily. It would have meant Lily at the end instead of Jake. I'm kind of imagining they also switch roles as far as like that fight at the end, because I think uh, I think you can probably go either way with it, honestly. In fact, I think I would have almost preferred the fight with Jake having not have super strength to make it more of a fair fight. I would have had more stakes, funny enough. It's hard to make a deal about this one because, like, so much is at stake. Almost everything is being reused in a later episode. Like, so it's, it's hard to, like, make decisions without huge ramifications. But I think I'm going to spite Eric Kripke and say that I would have kept the roadhouse. <laughs> yes. If I can spite him, I will. <laughs> You know for a fact you're going to win the poll this week in our uh, Discord for this one. And I'm totally okay with that. You're getting my vote. I would have kept the roadhouse. And I think that the way that I would have stopped Ash from telling the secret would have had the yellow-eyed demon kidnap Ash. He disappears the same way that, like, the other ones have disappeared. So, like, everybody in the roadhouse is dead. Like, you know throat slit. Same thing as in the cafe. But the roadhouse stands. The roadhouse should stand. I stand the roadhouse. I stand Ash. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our bunker patron, Katira, for her generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Courtney for her voicemail. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward, and leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to join our Patreon for perks and extra content. Our October live event will be a live watch of Bad Day at Black Rock on October 28th. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to patreon.com slash carryingwayward. And until next week, carry on our wayward friends. <laughs> Let's move Let's... on for your own sanity. <laughs> that was perfect. My God, this episode's ruined me. <laughs> I'm a broken man. <laughs> Ha 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 ha!